This is Jim Mosley, your host on the Bible History Guy radio broadcast, sponsored by Winterwood Creative. We're dedicated to turning doubt into Christian faith through facts. So if you have questions about God or the Bible that you would like answered, you can reach me through our website, www.thebiblehistoryguy.com. Or you can email me directly at jim at thebiblehistoryguy.com. That's jim at thebiblehistoryguy.com. Today's broadcast comes from my latest book, The Biographies of Jesus' Apostles. Most readers of the Bible have only a vague notion of who Jesus' apostles were, how they were related to each other, and what exactly they did. This book takes readers alongside the apostles, reveals the world through their eyes, and accurately retraces every known step of their lives. The Apostle Peter Peter was the first in the list of apostles. His original name was Simon, which means God has heard in Hebrew, and he was the son of Jonah, which means dove in Hebrew. Andrew was his brother, and they were both born in Bethsaida, a small town at the north end of the Sea of Galilee. Bethsaida means house of fish, just as Bethlehem means house of bread. A better English translation for Bethsaida might be fish town. And perhaps fishing was a generational business for this family, accounting for Peter's father's name being Jonah, which is kind of a wryly appropriate name for a seafaring man. The apostle Philip was also born in Bethsaida, so Philip, Simon Peter, and Andrew probably knew each other growing up, and maybe they were friends even before becoming disciples. Peter and Andrew later made their home in Capernaum, which is a larger nearby town on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum means town of Nahum. Possibly the town takes its name from the prophet Nahum, although Nahum also means comfort. So it is possible that the place name means Comfort Town. Peter was married, and according to Clement of Alexandria, he had children. He lived in a house with his brother Andrew and his mother-in-law, and he took his wife with him on missionary journeys. In the Gospel records, Peter and Jesus spoke to each other more than Jesus spoke with any other disciple. What did Peter look like? Well, a lot of painters portray Peter as burly and old, uh, but this is questionable. Peter was probably physically fit because all the disciples walked hundreds of miles with Christ and most walked many thousands or more on their missionary journeys after Christ's resurrection. Peter walked on water until his faith failed. He cut off a man's ear with his sword. He probably missed his main target, the man's head. And he dove into the Sea of Galilee to swim to Jesus when Jesus called him from shore. But he wasn't as fast a runner as John who beat Peter to the empty tomb. In any case, there's no reason why Peter should not have been younger than Jesus. The only person we can assume Peter was older than is Andrew, since the Bible always lists Andrew second after Peter, suggesting that Andrew was the younger brother. If Peter was about the same age as Jesus, he would have been about 31 when Jesus was baptized, and about 70 when Nero executed him in AD 68. Peter and all the disciples probably looked very similar, a bunch of Jewish boys from Galilee of about the same age. If they did not all look alike, the Sanhedrin might not have needed Judas to point out Jesus at night in the Garden of Gethsemane by giving him a kiss. Around Wednesday, May 1st, A.D. 30, Jesus called Peter, Andrew, James, and John to drop their nets and follow him into full-time ministry. 
Right after that, Jesus made Peter's house his headquarters for his Galilean missions. On the Sabbath of May 18th, Jesus taught in the Capernaum synagogue, exercised a demon-possessed man, came home to Peter's house, found Peter's mother-in-law sick, and healed her. And then many people in the town came to Peter's house, and Jesus kept on healing them and casting out demons all through the night until sunrise. And then at dawn, Jesus rose and went to a secluded place to pray. From all of this, we can deduce that Peter's house was large, since Jesus spent the night there with two extended families, healing a crowd of people, and also, despite the house being filled with Peter, his wife, his mother-in-law, Andrew, and two other disciples, Jesus was able to sneak out in the morning without tripping over anyone and waking anyone up. However, the house could not have been exactly a palace, because Mark one thirty-three says the whole city was gathered at the door, which means the whole city couldn't all get inside at once. Anyway, as his Galilean ministry headquarters, Jesus returned to Peter's house often. In March of the following year, Jesus fed the 5,000 on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, and then he told the disciples to coast their boat along the north shore and shelter at Bethsaida. But the disciples disobeyed him. Instead, they attempted to make an evening crossing back to Capernaum, where Peter and Andrew had their comfortable house and where Peter's wife and mother-in-law would probably serve them a warm meal. After sending them and the crowds away, Jesus went to a hilltop where he had fed the multitude and he prayed there alone. Well, the disciples had made a big mistake because a strong wind rose up against the disciples in the boat and the sea became rough and they made painfully slow progress, beaten by the waves, and the storm blew them far offshore. Against a contrary wind, sailing was useless, so the disciples dropped canvas and took to rowing. The Sea of Galilee is only about five miles wide, and the disciples had rowed about three-quarters of the way across, so it was now between 3 and 6 a.m. Since the disciples had launched around sunset, they'd been toiling at the oars for an exhausting 9 to 12 hours. Now at this time, Jesus walked across the water to overtake the twelve in the boat. He had to cross three to four miles of storm-tossed water to catch up with him. And when he did, and they saw him approaching, the disciples were terrified. They cried, it's a ghost. But Jesus said, it is I, don't be afraid. And Peter cried, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked to him. But then seeing the wind, Peter lost heart, began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus took hold of his hand and said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus brought Peter into the boat, and immediately the storm ceased. And the disciples worshipped him and said, You certainly are God's son. A little later in that year, AD 31, Jesus took his disciples north to Caesarea Philippi, which is near Syria. And there he foretold his death. Peter then affirmed that Jesus was the Christ, and Jesus called Peter blessed. Then Peter wanted to forbid Jesus that he should suffer and die. And then Jesus rebuked Peter, even saying, Get behind me, Satan, and saying that Peter was a stumbling block to him, focused on the things of men, not of God. Few people have received such high praise and so sharp a rebuke in the course of a few minutes. On about Tuesday, April 29th, AD 31, Jesus took Peter, James, and John to nearby Mount Hermon. These were the only disciples who saw him transfigured there. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. 
Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking to Jesus. And Peter cried out, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while Peter was speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. This was one of the three times, Jesus' baptism, the transfiguration, and Palm Sunday, when God the Father spoke from heaven with Jesus present offering a manifest proof of the Trinity. The three disciples fell to the ground terrified, and Jesus touched them, saying, Get up, do not be afraid. And when they got up, they saw no one there but Jesus, who said, Tell no one about this until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. When Jesus and those three disciples came down from Mount Hermon, they met the other nine disciples who were trying without success, to drive a demon from a boy. Jesus told them that such a demon comes out only with prayer and fasting. And then he exorcised the demon himself. When Jesus and his team came back to Capernaum, the temple tax collectors challenged Peter about Jesus, asking if his rabbi failed to pay the two drachma tax. Now, this wasn't a Roman tax. It was a tax imposed on Jews by Jews for the support of the Levitical priesthood that ran the temple. Peter defended Jesus, saying, yes, Jesus did pay it. But when Peter came home, before he could say anything, Jesus told him that kings collect taxes from strangers, not from their sons. Therefore, Jesus, God's son, was exempt from the temple tax. Now, Jesus could have accessed the disciples' money bag, which Judas Iscariot kept, to pay the tax. But instead, Jesus told Peter, so as not to offend anyone, to go throw a hook into the Sea of Galilee and pull up the first fish he caught. That fish would have a shekel in its mouth. Now, a shekel was worth four drachmas, or about four days of a skilled laborer's wages. And so Peter was to take the money and pay the tax for Jesus and himself. In all his life of fishing, Peter probably found many strange things inside fish. But Jesus surely was amusing both himself and Peter by using this uniquely personal method of prophecy, fulfillment, and teaching. Peter was a disciple who asked Jesus how many times he should forgive a brother who sinned against him. And Jesus told him not seven times, but 70 times seven. When Jesus told the disciples that it was easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, they were distressed. Peter and Andrew, with their big house, the sons of Zebedee, with their fishing fleet, servants, and Jerusalem residents, and Matthew Levy, the tax collector, were certainly not poor. So they asked, dismayed, who then can be saved? Jesus replied that with man it would be impossible, but with God all things are possible. And then Peter pressed the point. We've left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? Well, if they'd been poor, leaving everything would probably not have meant too much to them. Jesus replied by saying that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man should sit on his glorious throne, they would sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and would inherit eternal life. On Tuesday, March 29th, A.D. 33, Jesus took only Peter, Andrew, James, and John, the sons of Zebedee, to the Mount of Olives and predicted his death by that coming Friday. And he also predicted the future destruction of the Jerusalem temple. 
On Thursday of that week, Jesus sent only Peter and John from Bethany to Jerusalem to prepare the Last Supper. Normally, preparing the Passover meal would be a happy task, but this year it was grim and foreboding because the disciples already knew Jesus expected this to be his last meal with them. He had predicted his death would occur on Friday. Jesus told Peter and John that they would meet a man carrying a pitcher of water who would lead them to a house with a large furnished upper room. They found everything as Jesus foretold, and this must have increased their sense of impending doom because if Jesus was right about these things, as indeed he was right about everything, surely tomorrow he would die. This is Jim, the Bible History Guy, and you've been listening to material from my latest book, The Biographies of Jesus' Apostles, Ambassadors in Chains. Imprisoned in Nero's Rome, Paul wrote, I am an ambassador in chains. Well, apostle means ambassador, and these long-suffering ambassadors of Christ bore the gospel over tens of thousands of miles from Jerusalem to Africa, Europe, and Asia. They planted churches, had heavenly encounters, worked miracles, wrote all-time bestsellers, were shipwrecked, flogged, imprisoned, and martyred, and yet they broke the chains and turned empires and kingdoms upside down. This book takes you on a journey of discovery back to the first century, experiencing how, against all odds, these embattled and triumphant ambassadors in chains so perfectly fulfilled Jesus' great commission. You can find the biographies of Jesus' apostles online wherever books are sold or on my website, www.thebiblehistoryguy.com. On the Bible History Guy website, click New Books, and then the first link takes you to the book in the Kindle version on Amazon, and the second link takes you to the paperback version online. You've been listening to the Bible History Guy radio broadcast, sponsored by Winterwood Creative. You can reach me, Jim Mosley, directly through my email, jim at thebiblehistoryguy.com. That's jim at thebiblehistoryguy.com. <laughs>